Welcome to Mindset, a guide to getting out of your own way and a blueprint for professional success. Today, neuroscientist Shelley Laslett is here to talk about self-criticism and how to stop being quite so brutal with yourself. Yes, I have a big fear of rejection, so I'm pretty hard on myself when I make mistakes. Um, And I often say things like, oh, you're such a fool, so stupid, like you should have known better, you need to work harder. I say, uh, you don't deserve to be upset or other people could do this job better. You should already know this. Shelley, can you explain the difference between constructive self-critique and destructive self-criticism? Yeah, so constructive leads you somewhere gives you a path forward. It's a new milestone to aim at. Constructive is about self-reflection, self-analysis. It uses that metacognition, thinking about your thinking to reflect on yourself, sometimes in comparison to others, which healthy comparison is okay. But we can look at others without reducing ourselves or creating us, uh, creating really an us and them divide where they're this and I'm that. You know, there's no negative, judgmental or harsh critique elements that come into constructive self-reflection. Whereas in destructive, we hear criticism, we hear, you know, dejection, we hear judgment. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, or I couldn't do that job, or he and she, or they are so much more than this or that. You know, we we hear comparison as a deductionist point, a reductionist point for, for myself. Whereas when we talk about wanting to be in that constructive place, what we're kind of asking ourselves is, okay, where am I now? What do I need to hear? You know, what do I need to be doing to get to where I want to go? What maybe happened there that led to this outcome? Okay, well, maybe I didn't listen enough. Maybe I actually cut the person off a little bit too much. What do I need to do? I need to I need to learn to listen. And the easiest thing you can do there is actually just say to somebody, hey, I'm sorry, I get a bit excited and I cut people off. So if I'm doing that to you, just tell me. And I think it's really important for any of our folks who identify in that neurodiversity lens. This is a really important place where you can actually talk about that openly and be really honest about it. Because often the thing that we're so terrified of doing is our our experience, the way that we view the world, whether or not you know we are neurodiverse. That neurodiversity is something that's going to detract. That's something that's going to you know put us at a deficit in our social relationships, and that includes in the workplace. But actually, if you talk about it in what you do and how it presents for, for you, it's really helpful for your team to understand that that's where it's coming from. Because if they don't understand it, that's where the misunderstanding comes in. Okay, so part of effective self-critique is communicating with others where it's relevant or if it's a behaviour that you might repeat. Um, it's hard not to beat yourself up, though, if you feel like you've made a mistake, like, I don't know, talking too much in meetings or speaking over someone. So how do we have compassion for ourselves in those moments, even if we have actually made a mistake or we feel like we have? We need to sit and know it's okay. So it's actually just that self-soothing behaviour. It's it's some of that labelling and saying, you know, I didn't expect it to go so, and I feel sad. And it's okay to be sad. It's actually like, I don't want to fall into that happiness trap here where we just skip over it and we're trying to fix it immediately. Some people have that inherently in their personality. They're like, oh, I feel bad. I don't ever want to feel bad. Quick, get into the, get fixing that. What are we going to do? Like, and that's fantastic. But every strength overplayed becomes a weakness. I sound like a bit of a broken record, but it's really important to acknowledge. Like we need to soothe ourselves there. And I think if you just think about the way that you talk to perhaps an eight-year-old who didn't make the swimming team that they thought they're going to make, maybe didn't get the lead part in a play, what would you be telling them? Would you be saying, okay, Priya, we're just going to get straight back on that bike and you get back up there and you're going to go tell the teacher the audition process wasn't fair. Like you're going to try harder. You're going to be the best 
backup sunflower dancer. Like you might tell them that to help motivate them eventually. But in the moment when they're feeling sad and hurt and disappointed, it's just actually about saying like, oh, no, darling, that hurts. I'm sorry. That really sucks. And giving yourself that dialogue within yourself, just sit with it and know that it's a valid emotion and it's just as important as happiness. Like you can't have happiness without sadness. To know what happiness is, you actually need to know what sadness is. They coexist as emotions. We are born into this world with both of them. So I would really say like just acknowledge what you're feeling and give yourself space and permission to feel it and to process it. And then when you feel you've had a bit of time and distance away from it, you can do all these other things, mindfully practice, journal, you can go for a run, you can talk to a trusted advisor, a friend, then make the action plan. But if we just feel the sh- like the shitty emotion and then make an action plan, we're actually just doing a disservice. We're skipping over it. We're saying it's not important. It's not valid. And, and we don't want to do that. That's a bit of a trap. Okay. So how do you actually figure out what behaviors or situations are going to bring out your most intense self-criticism so that you can process it or make space for it, or even just avoid the situation altogether? Identifying your trigger is if it feels really hot, like if it's a really, like you feel it in your body, like you can feel the reaction, like your heartbeat goes up or your brow furrows, or like you feeling sick. This ties into something called the James Lang effect. And the idea is like, do I cry because I'm upset or am I crying because I'm upset? So does our body reaction come first and then our awareness emotion separate or vice versa? And the answer is we don't know. Even to this day, we don't know. So James Lang theory sort of ha- was hanging around in the 1800s. We don't know. So the, the thing is you will have either bodily or awareness feedback. So something coming from your body first that you're aware of. So sometimes and you see people do it. They don't know that they're going to get upset. And suddenly someone asks them something and you can see them. You can see their eyes glaze over. You can hear them choking in their voice. And even if it's happening to you, you're like, oh, God, it's happening. What do I do about it? That is an eye. That is a marker that there is something else there. It cannot be necessarily the only thing. Now, I'm talking in a normal workplace. Like I'm talking in there's it's, – it's a relatively – non-threatening environment. I'm not talking about in an argument with a loved one or when someone says really something hurtful to you that will instantly take you there. I'm talking about when what would be sort of an everyday occurrence feels really strong. So it's when it feels really strong or like, God, I hate it when they send me an email like that. I hate it when they put that thing in that email that makes me feel really small. Okay. So it can't just be this email the first time you felt small. What is this reminding you of? It's reminding me when like I wasn't heard and I was just always spoken down to by whoever that was. Okay, cool. That person's not here now. That person's not written you the email. That person's not in the room with you, right? You can ask this person to exit stage left. They're not here right now. So if that person's not here right now and they didn't write the email, read the email again. What's another way in which this could be read? In our next episode, Helen McCabe and Jamila Rizvi are back to share how they sit with their self-criticism and cultivate self-compassion too. If you are objectively trying to assess your behaviour in a situation, that's great. But if you are bringing a whole lot of emotion to it, you're probably not considering the full context. Ask yourself, are you being really general in your assessment? For example, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm stupid. Those are really big generalisations. There's nothing wrong with saying... I didn't study very hard for that test and I don't think this is an area of expertise A that I've naturally been the best at and so I probably should have worked a bit harder. 
that's a really healthy self-reflection. Calling yourself stupid, that's a bit different. Mindset is created by FW Jobs Academy with support from the Australian Government's Office for Women. FW champions gender equality in Australian workplaces through professional development, advocacy and community. If you'd like to know more, go to futurewomen.com or find out how to register for our Jobs Academy at jobsacademy.futurewomen.com.